0: Father God, we thank you again for this morning, and Lord, we thank you for how you have acted in history, and Lord, we pray that you will give us grace this morning, that we will understand how to read your word, and also to see Jesus in all of it. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I just want to do a quick recap. We've been looking at covenants all the way from the covenant with creation, and Adam. In fact, we even went beyond time, talking about the covenant of redemption, and then we traversed all the way, and we looked at the new covenant, and if you remember the last time that we were here, we saw how Jesus fulfilled all the previous covenants. Kyle, you have a question? Okay, I thought you did, (laughs) the way you were looking at me. Anyway. Okay, uh, so that's what we did last week, and uh, not last week, last time that we met, we saw how Jesus fulfilled all of the covenants and everything that was promised and needed to be fulfilled, Jesus did that by recapitulating or repeating those events or those acts and showing us how it was supposed to be done. And if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it on the link at the bottom of your page. Um we also saw how the prophets predicted that there will be a day of the Lord. And their understanding was there will be a clear day of the Lord. And from that day forth, there would be the age to come. It was a, supposed to be a clean break. That was their understanding. However, that was not God's plan. And as we can see now, that is still not God's plan. God's plan is to inaugurate the kingdom or the new creation with jesus and we saw how jesus was the firstborn of the new creation and when and during his second coming would be the end of this present age and then we will only have the new age or the age to come so right now in between we are in the already not yet part the new kingdom or the new creation has been inaugurated But we are still living in this present age. And finally, there will be a day during Jesus' second coming when this present age will be gone. And then what will be is the new kingdom, the new heavens, and the new earth. Okay, so that is what we saw. But the question is, how much of the previous covenants did Jesus fulfill? Okay, so that's the question that different systems try to wrestle with. okay? How much of the previous covenants did he fulfill? And because of what he did, how much or what is discontinued and what still continues. So the primary wrestle with the, full, the covenants is the continuity and the discontinuity. What still continues and what is put to an end. For example, I will tell you that the food laws specifically have been put to an end. They have discontinued, right? When Jesus said uh, what, go- what defiles a person is what comes out of his heart, not what goes into his stomach, to his mouth. And Mark adds a note that thus he proclaimed all food to be clean. And you can see that the food laws, the clean, unclean, was done away with. Same thing with the sacrificial system. Right? Jesus is the f- uh, final sacrifice, the one atoning sacrifice for all time, and there is no need for any more sacrifices. So the sacrificial system was put to an end. But then there are a lot of things which are questionable. Do they still continue or do they not continue? What about the Sabbath? What about the Ten Commandments? What about all the other things? So there are a lot of debate, and that is where you have different camps. Historically, there have been two uh, camps that have been predominantly uh, within uh, Christianity and now there are a few others who are uh, popping their head up but it's nothing new but historically there have been two camps or two understandings of these covenants and that is what we will be looking at today. So the two um, camps are first is dispensational theology and we'll look at that and the second is covenantal theology. Uh, we will look at those also, okay? Hey, Jack, quick question. Yes. How do we put the term Reformed theology? Is it in the same category is it a So Reformed theology has been synonymous with covenantal theology historically, um, but again, as we are, there are a lot of nuances, there are a lot of exceptions to the rule, but um, typically, Covenantal theology has been synonymous with Reformed theology. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing we will look at is dispensational theology. First of all, I want to make, make it clear that dispensation is a biblical word. Okay. Um, again, there's a lot of debate about it, but dispensation itself is a di- biblical word. And you can see that in Ephesians 1.10, it means administration. And the Greek word is oikonomia, which is where we get the word economy. And this is how God interacts with people. So God's administration of his plan and his relationship with people happened in different administrations or different dispensations. So if you get deep into dispensational theology, you will find that they will have different dispensations across different periods of biblical history. But in a sense, all of us who believe in progressive revelation are dispensationalists. Uh, That's not helping at all, but I'm just trying to say that if you believe in progressive revelation, which is what we have been seeing, that God started with Adam, but Adam didn't know a whole lot. All he knew was don't eat and rule the earth, right? But then eventually God started revealing more and more and more. And finally, when it comes to the Davidic covenant, we see God clearly saying that the savior or the king will be a son of David. And then eventually in the new covenant, we see the full revelation of Jesus. Okay, so God has revealed his plan progressively. And in that sense, we could say we all believe in dispensation, different administrations or progressive administration of God's plan. But that's not helping much. However, among the dispensational cap, there are three kinds. Okay, so... um, Again, I'm not going to get into the details of each of these kinds because we don't have time. (laughs) And uh, it's not the focus as we look at the covenants. But we will look at how they understand covenants. So they started with classical dispensationalism. um, And, of course, the classical dispensationalism is not common at all today. It was back in the early early 1900s or even earlier. But then their theology had some issues and people within their own camp understood that no this doesn't make sense so they revised it and which is what we call traditional dispensationalism and it's a good thing that they recognized those problems and they revised it but today the, mo- the common version of dispensationalism is progressive dispensationalism and it's got nothing to do with politics but it's more that they have progressed and they realize that God's plan has been progressively revealed. Okay, so we'll look at some of those features. And they're very big names among th- this camp. And one big name is John MacArthur. He is a dispensationalist. So um, they're good people, they're very f- popular people on both sides of the camp. Yes, Nisa. Yeah, about a hundred something years. Right, so this yeah. is fairly new in mm-hmm. church history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all of these dispensationalists, they have one thing in common. The big When it comes to covenants and even their understanding of theology, they have one thing in common and um, this defines, if you're a dispensationalist, this is what you believe at the core, which is, that there is a distinction between Israel and church, between the old covenant people and the new covenant people, and they are not the same. There is a clear distinction, and we'll look at some of the details, but this is at the heart of dispensationalism, that Israel and church are different. Okay, So keep that in mind as we look at dispensationalism. And because of their understanding of the distinction, they tend towards the discontinuity spectrum of, I mean, side of the spectrum. They are, um, they think that whatever was in the Old Testament was for Israel, and does not apply to the Church today. A lot of the things. Again, we can get into each uh, detail, which we're not going to do today. But on on a general basis, they understand that. What happened in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant was specific to Israel, and what's happening in the New Covenant is specific to the church, and there will be a later fulfillment to Israel, as we will see, okay? So they fall on on the discontinuity side of the spectrum. So, John, just to help us, because my wife and I come out of so, for example, the yeah. Trouble, trouble. So that distinction is going to have yeah, so Lenny uh, just said that the, disti- the difference is that when we talk about the time of Jacob's trouble, it's not the time of the church's trouble, it's Jacob's or Israel's trouble. It doesn't apply to the church. And a lot of the things, I mean, another example is some of them will go to say that the Sermon on the Mount doesn't apply to the church. Okay, so there are extremes, and but at the, at the heart of it, it's that Israel is Israel, church is church. Certain things apply to Israel, and those things don't apply to the church. Okay? And as we have seen in all of the covenants in the Old Testament, they, the argument is that those promises were made to Israel, as in the nation, the ethnic nation of Israel. Okay? And they have to be fulfilled. Those promises were not made to the church, right? Um, And we'll look at the main one uh, very shortly. But those promises that we have gone through, all the covenants, we started with Abraham. That's where the first promise, I mean, actually Noah um, is where God said that he will never destroy. But then the whole nation of Israel comes from Abraham. So the promises made to Abraham, those are specific to Abraham. Israel. And then again, going into the Mosaic covenant, those are Israel. And they will also go to the new covenant in the Old Testament, which is made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So those are specific to ethnic nation of Israel, and they don't apply to the church. And those need to be fulfilled. God promised it, right? And they have to be fulfilled. If you say that it's not going to be fulfilled, then you're basically calling God a liar. So God has to fulfill those promises that he made to ethnic Israel, and one of and the primary thing that they hold on to is the promise of land. When we looked at the Abrahamic covenant, we said there, there were three aspects of three things that God promised Abraham: land, descendants, and blessing or relationship. Okay, so those are the three things that God promised Abraham. In uh, when we looked at the Abrahamic covenant, they will hold on to the land, saying that God promised. Israel a land and that has to be fulfilled so fast forward into new covenant did it happen when Jesus was here no Jesus was not ruling over Israel he did not set up his throne there and so it did not was not accomplished during Jesus's first coming so when is it going to be accomplished it will be accomplished in Jesus's second coming okay so that is the understanding that Jesus will fulfill it and there will be a land for the nation of Israel in his second coming. Jesus will reign from the new Jerusalem. Uh, If you look in Revelation chapter 21, there is the new Jerusalem and the new temple. So Jesus will reign from new Jerusalem. But his reign will be over all nations. Israel will be a nation, so there is a national future or an ethnic national future for Israel, and there will be other nations also, but they will be separate from Israel, and Jesus will rule over all nations. Okay, So that is what they argue, but they go back to Abrahamic covenant, right? I mean, our understanding of covenant, we saw that how Jesus fulfilled all of those covenant promises, but then they look at the Abrahamic covenant like, where's the land fulfillment? When was it fulfilled? It doesn't say it was fulfilled. And Jesus didn't reign when he came the first time. He didn't reign and the Israelites didn't get their land. And it's almost going back to the understanding of the Jews at the time that there will be a political deliverance from the Romans or from all oppression and Israel will be established as a nation. And that is part of what the apostles ask in Acts chapter 1 also. Lord, are you going to restore the nation of Israel at this time? And then he says, It's not for you to know. But that is where that comes from. Lenny? Okay, just to help us understand again. So, from this period in the, when Jesus walked the earth, Israel did not have land until 1948. That's our lifetime. Right. So now, like that just exploded dispensationalism. It's like, see? Yeah. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of it. Yeah, so Lenny's Comment here is that in 1948, when Israel became a land, that exploded dispensationalism. To see that, look, the promise is coming to um, is beginning to be fulfilled. Okay. Oops. All right. And because of this understanding of the difference between Israel and other nations, the argument is that there will the Jew Gentile distinction is not lost. in Christ, just like the male-female distinction is not lost in Christ. So those of us who are in Christ, just because we are in Christ, it doesn't mean that gender is fluid now, right? It's all one gender. No, that's not what the understanding is. In Christ, there is a male-female distinction. In the same way, they will argue that in Christ, there is the Jew and Gentile distinction. Yeah. So Paul's making a distinction between Jew, Gentile, and the Church of God. So the position would say, see, there's Jews and there's the Gentiles, and there's the Church of God. So right. the Church of God does not replace. Yep, 1 Corinthians 10.32, where there are uh, different groups called out, and that's what the dispensationalist would use to, to show that there is a distinction. Okay? Yes. No, the question is if those who are Jews who doesn't accept Christ, are they still saved? No, they wouldn't believe that. I mean, they would still believe that people, I mean, even the Jews in Christ are saved. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they um, compromise on what is to be believed when it comes to salvation. Yeah. Okay, so moving along. Historically, also, there has been a strong understanding that the Old Testament new covenant, as promised in Jeremiah 31, is different than the New Testament new covenant that is seen in the church. Okay, so if you look at one of the things that we did um, talk about in when we looked at Jeremiah 31 is God said, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, right? And uh, we still haven't resolved that how is it with the house of israel and house of, house of judah and how does how do the gentiles fit into that we still haven't resolved it we will do that next week uh, but when they read that they say look the new covenant that is promised in jeremiah is for the house of israel and house of judah but they also acknowledge that the new covenant the church is part of the new covenant so they will make a distinction saying that new covenant is different and this new covenant is different okay As I said, it was promised to House of Judah, and New Testament, New Covenant is for the church, and the way they differentiate that is to say that this is a spiritual manifestation of the promises. It's not a literal, Lenny, literal, it's not a literal manifestation of the promises, but it's a spiritual manifestation of the promises. And that's where they will go into the first fulfillment, which is happening to the church, but there will be a second greater fulfillment which will happen to Israel. Okay, so that is how they look at the new covenant in the Old Testament and the new covenant in the New Testament. Okay, so what's happening in the church is the first fulfillment. Okay, it's not the fullest fulfillment because the land is still not resolved. The land promise is still out there. So what's happening in the church is the first fulfillment which is spiritual, and then there will be a second fulfillment, which will be literal, political, national, all of those things. But now in today's dispensational understanding, most progressive dispensationalists, they agree or they accept the already not yet version, which we, uh, sorry, already not yet uh, concept, which we looked at, um, last week or last time that we met and which i uh, alluded to at the beginning of this class so they will believe in that yes the new the promises have been inaugurated and there is yet a full fuller fulfillment that we are waiting for which is what we all believe that yes the kingdom of god has been inaugurated the, the new creation has been inaugurated and there will be a day when the current present age, present evil age will be put to an end, and all that there will be is the new creation, the new heavens, the new Jerusalem, and the new earth. They adopt that, but they say the already part is what the church is experiencing. The already part is to the church, the not yet part is to Israel. It's going back to the same thing as the first fulfillment and the second fulfillment, right? So the already, yes, the church is experiencing those promises, that's the already part, but there is a not yet, which will be greater, and that is what Israel will experience. And the the way they argue it is, if it is not clearly fulfilled, if it doesn't say in the New Testament, this has been fulfilled clearly, then it is not fulfilled. So the land, it doesn't say that this is how Jesus fulfilled it, it doesn't explicitly say it, so it's still not fulfilled. So in a sense, if you talk about continuity and discontinuity, we said uh, dispensational leans towards the discontinuity side. Israel is frozen in its historical context, right? So everything that God promised Israel still there. Now you have the church, which is sort of a parenthesis. That's most of the time they will refer to the church as a parenthesis. Um, but Israel is frozen, and it will be picked up later on in eschatology or in the last days okay so that is the understanding of dispensational theology when it comes to covenants and they are very strong with the israel and church distinction promises god made in the old testament were specifically to israel the church is experiencing it um, as a fulfillment now but those promises were specifically to israel and they will be fulfilled eventually when jesus comes again so that's all of dispensational theology that we need to know as we look at covenants. There is so much more, and you can spend a whole lifetime studying dispensational theology, but when it comes to covenants, this is what we need to understand and how they interpret the covenants and what are the implications of it. Lenny? Yeah. Yeah, so being if you're a dispensationalist, then you're by default a premillennial uh understanding of eschatology. Um of course there are exceptions to the rule, but yes, a premillennial understanding is by default if you're a dispensationalist. And there are different versions of pre pre-trib, post-trib, all those things. Um but it depends on where each of us stands when it comes to pre-mill post-mill, and arm-mill. So, yeah. Le- uh, Lisa? And then, doesn't this um, kind of explain why America has always been on the side of Israel as a nation? It, has this theology affected America's view of why they, they stand so strongly with Israel? So the question is, is this the reason why America stands so strong with Israel? So I will say that I am not Familiar with the answer to that question, but I can see how it could be the reason because um, uh, dispensational theology has been prevalent in America for the for the last hundred or so years, and because of that, there is a strong influence on the politics also. So I would say I can see it, but I don't know if that's the actual reason. Yes. Yeah, can someone be half pre-millennial, half, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Can someone be half pre-mill, half amillennial? I don't know. In front of another church, they preach premillennial, I just laid back and I said, yeah, I agree. And I come up here, I'm like, I... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, amillennial and pre-millennial kind of can coexist more than post-millennial, which I just thought you post-millennial. Yeah, I don't know how they can coexist. We can talk about it, but yeah. All right, so the next thing we want to look at is covenantal theology. So this is all about dispensational theology. So we will look at covenantal theology. And the way covenantal theology understands the covenants is they organize them into two different covenants. All of the covenants are put into two categories, covenant of works and covenant of grace. Okay, so the covenant of works was with Adam before the fall where God told him, um, you shall not eat of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that was the works part. Adam was in a probationary state. He had to do certain things. Um, and if you go back and listen to the class that we did on the covenant with creation, we spoke about this specifically. But that's their understanding that what happened with Adam was the covenant of works. But since he disobeyed and he did not do the work that he was supposed to do, Everything fell, and since Genesis 3.15, the covenant of grace was inaugurated. All the covenants that followed are all part of the covenant of grace. So the covenant of grace has been in practice or in effect. The covenant of grace has been in effect from Genesis 3.15 till today, until Jesus comes back again. So that is the continuity that they see. And we'll talk a little more about that. So if you're looking, if you're trying to understand where they fall on the continuity discontinuity scale, so covenantal theologists will fall more on the continuity side. Okay. So all the different Old Testament covenants are um, covenant of grace administered differently. Okay, so the first promise was Genesis 3.15 and after that there were different ways that the covenant of grace was administered to Abraham, to Moses, to David and to the new covenant and now the church. All of this, are everything is part of the covenant of grace. But even within the covenant of grace they will look at conditionality and unconditionality. Okay, Some covenants or some administrations are conditional they have a conditional aspect to it and some have are unconditional like the one to abraham it's unconditional right there was no condition when it comes to the one with moses it's conditional Um, david jeremiah and the new covenant they're all unconditional so there is conditionality and unconditionality and conditionality is what they will call as the law what is conditional is the law but what is unconditional is the gospel and this is where they make the distinction between law and gospel okay so this is how they understand but even within conditionality they will bring in some conditions as in the covenant of works the conditionality was never done away with right so that still Adam never fulfilled it so it still it cannot just be hanging there it has to be fulfilled so even within the unconditionality they have a sort of a conditionality, which is where they say Jesus, the Christ, fulfilled all the conditions. And by our faith in him, we receive it unconditionally. So in this camp is um, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul is in the covenantal theology camp. And if you've listened to him, he will say, all of us are are, are saved by works. All of us are saved by works. But we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by Christ's works. Okay, So that is something that he, he will say very often. And that is their understanding that, yes, even within the unconditional, even within the gospel, there is a condition which Christ fulfilled because of his works. And what we need to do is we have to repent and believe. Okay, So because of this, they will introduce the category that even within the unconditional part of it, there are those who obey and those who do not obey. Okay, So the ones who obey are the ones to whom the covenant promises will be fulfilled, and the ones who do not obey are the covenant breakers or the ones for whom the covenant promises will not be fulfilled. Okay, So in this sense, even among the conditionality, there is a sort of a, sorry even among the even in the unconditionality there is a sort of conditionality which is which says you either obey or you don't obey and that is where you fall so in that sense every community is a mixed community when you go back to israel paul says right in romans 9:6 not all israel is israel because the way they define that is those who kept the covenant versus those who broke the covenant but they were all within there. So even within the covenant, you have the ones who obey, the ones who don't obey, but they're all still within the covenant. They were all Israel. They were all within the covenant. They were all under, uh, by circumcision, they all came into the mosaic, uh, the Abrahamic covenant and then continued on into the Mosaic covenant. And in the Mosaic covenant, they either kept the covenant or they did not keep the covenant. But there were people who were covenant keepers and covenant breakers all in the same community. So every community, every covenant community, even if you go back all the way to Abraham, you had Ishmael and Isaac. Both were circumcised, both were part of the Abrahamic covenant. And then you come down to Esau and Jacob. Both were in in, um, the covenant, in the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, But Esau was a covenant breaker and Jacob was a covenant keeper. So there was mixed nature in all covenant communities and then come down to Israel. And then now they will apply that even to the church to say that even among the church, there it is a mixed community because you have covenant keepers and covenant breakers. Okay, so in that sense, the new covenant community, the church is also mixed. Yes, Lenny. Yeah. So this is very helpful me to all that. Yep. Very helpful with uh, us being in the Gospel of John right now to understand the Sunday messages. All right, so that is their understanding of the covenant. They look at the continuity that everything that has happened since Genesis 3.15 is part of the covenant of grace. So from that time, there has always been one people of God because everybody is in the covenant of grace so in the covenant the covenant community because it's a it's one covenant there is one people of God in the old testament it was Israel but in the new testament it's the church but there is no there is no distinction between Israel and church Israel was the community in the administration of the old covenant which is still a covenant of grace The church is the new covenant community in the administration of the new covenant, which is also a covenant of grace. And there is no distinction between Israel and church, as I said. So, as as I alluded before, covenant theology falls in the more unifying or continuous side of the spectrum, and they look at Old Testament and New Testament as more continuous than discontinuous. And the way they look at the new covenant. So what is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant if it's all the same thing? They will look at the new covenant as a greater uh, fulfillment, the, the fulfillment to a greater extent. It's a greater application. In the old covenant, it was only the, Israels, Isra- uh, the, only the Israelites. But in the new covenant, it's both Israel, Israel and the Gentiles. Everybody is now part of the covenant. So it's fulfilled to a greater extent, it's a greater application, and also there is a greater blessing where all the nations are now blessed. Okay? But everybody is still following in the covenant of grace. So this is where Nisa, they will see how the church and Israel are the same. Again, going back to the sign of the covenants, Right? As circumcision was entry into the Old Covenant, baptism now brings you into the New Covenant. So, everybody who was in the Old Testament, they came into the covenant through circumcision, and that goes all the way back to Abraham. right? That was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So, They say that Abrahamic covenant, the sign to get into the covenant of grace, you need to be circumcised. That was how it was in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, to get into the covenant of grace, you need to be baptized. And everybody in the Old Testament was baptized. Everybody who was part of the, sorry, was circumcised, who was part of the Israel community. So in the same way, everybody who's part of the New Covenant community, they will be baptized. And they will go to say the promise to Abraham was to Abraham and his descendants and the generations. In the same way, it gets carried over into the new com- covenant to the believers and their children. Okay? So that is the continuity that they see. Just like in the old covenant in Israel, the infants were circumcised to be brought into the covenant community in the same way the infants are baptized now to be brought into the covenant community but it's all going back to the promise that God made to Abraham you and your descendants in the same way it's it continues on today to the believers to you and your children okay so in this sense again you I want you to see the continuity that they bring from the old covenant into the new covenant or the old administration of the covenant of grace into the new administration of the covenant of grace and how they understand um their practices. And if you go way back to the very first class that we did, different understandings of <coughs> the covenants will uh bring about different practices in Christianity, in your um, daily life. Yes, Lenny. You're going to leave us hanging without with these blanks, No, let's finish. We have two slides. We'll finish. Continuity. It's going to be continuity and discontinuity? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave you. For, so the question, the question is, who is, who is the party in the New Covenant? So we looked at the New Covenant and we defined who the parties are, which is everyone who believes. And if you look at the Westminster larger catechism, even which comes from their Westminster faith, the confession of faith, they will say that question 31, with whom was the covenant of grace made? The covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam, and in him with all the ele- uh, and in him with all the elect as his seed. So they themselves will say that the covenant of grace is with the elect. Do we know if the children are elect? No. But why do they still baptize infants? They believe and they embrace the believers and their children as covenant members because central to their understanding of the covenants is the continuity. Because of their continuity, they bring that over. Um, that's why children are baptized. Okay? But one thing that we have to understand is baptism, they don't think baptism saves them. Okay, baptism is not regenerational like the Catholics believe. Catholics believe that baptism actually saves you and gets rid of your original sin and brings you to a neutral state, and after that, it's all your works. But that's not the understanding of baptism in the covenant theology community. They will believe that it brings you into the into the covenant community, and after that, you're either a covenant breaker or a covenant keeper. Okay, so that will be shown in the way you live your life, and what, whether you believe or you don't believe, and all of those things. But in that sense, the church is still a mixed community. You don't know who's a co- covenant breaker, and you don't know who's a covenant keeper. Okay, So that is their understanding. So last slide. Let's see what is the problem with both of these systems. So where do you think progressive dispensational theology is mistaken? Quickly, anybody yeah, yes uh I think we said that we were in in some sense everybody is dispensational because they we believe in progressive at it, before, it's very it is complicated, <laughs> yeah, it is Matt. Okay, I'll move on just in the interest of time. Um, The problem is they don't bring in Christ into the equation. Jesus is the seed of the Abraham and the true Israel. We looked at this in the last class. The problem that we will run into is if you translate or don't translate anything from the Old Testament into the New Testament without Jesus. Anything that comes to us comes through Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled all of the promises, right? So they missed the part, Israel. Yeah, they're still holding on to the old Israel, but the Bible, I mean, Jesus is the true Israel. And in him, all of these were fulfilled. So Jesus has been given authority over all the heavens and all earth, right? So he's been given all of creation as his land. And... They don't see land as a type from Eden. They only go back to Abraham, but land was also part of Eden where God placed them in the land. Again, when we looked at the covenant of creation, that was one of the features of the covenant where God placed Adam and Eve in the land and told them, rule the rule the place, right? So land is a type, starts from Eden, and it will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. So that is part of where they don't bring Jesus into the equation. Uh of course they will be mad at us when we say that you're forgetting Jesus, but <laughs> the fact is when they look at it uh, very um discontinuous continuously that is what's happening. Okay, where is covenant theology mistaken? Again, they make this distinction between covenant of works and covenant of grace, which is really misleading because everything that we have is through grace. Even Adam was born through grace. There was no part of it which is not through grace. Um, the new covenant people are not a mixed group, okay? So there is a distinction between the old covenant people and the new covenant people. And that really begs the question, what is the church then? How do you differentiate between Israel and church? Okay, so in both these theologies, you have to understand what is the definition of the church and how is it different, which is what we will look at next week. Father God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus, as our covenant mediator. And we thank you, Lord, that in him all your promises are yes, and everything has been fulfilled in him, Lord. And we, as his people of the covenant, um, we enjoy everything through him, and our union with him signifies Um, uh, is so important and gives us all your promises. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you will bless the rest of this day, the preaching of the word and our service together. Father, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.